Let's open up with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you for Family Day, for the opportunity that uh, we have to celebrate and be with our families, Um, the opportunity we have today to worship together as a church family. Lord, as we turn to your word now, I just pray that you would uh, lead us in it and guide us through it, Lord, and challenge us by it. Amen. So as I was watching or asking those people to do those videos, I got thinking about all my feelings. And there's a number of them that I can't actually share from the pulpit. Um, you know, I'd be in trouble with my wife, and you guys would probably be sending me out the door before I finish. So, um, but as I think about my, uh, there's a story a number of years ago, uh, back when we had about, you know, we had two kids, maybe three. I'm not sure if Hannah was born at this time. But, uh, you know, we were kind of into the throes of, of parenting at that time. And we had some friends over. And they were either new parents or about to be new parents. And uh, during the evening, uh, you know, we hear this crash and bang. And we hear Caleb yelling and Miriam crying. And, you know, I start to head down uh, downstairs to deal with it. And the husband, our friend, the husband, he got up. And he, uh, he decided he wants to come along. Like, oh, I'm going to see how this is done. Like, I'm some kind of expert, you know. It's like, I think it's like a ride-along with a kindergarten cop, you know. So, anyways, as I walked down the stairs, it took me about 10 seconds, the pressure starts to build, right? I'm like, oh, boy, this better be good. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, like, I mean, I really got to impress this guy here. He's looking for some, you know, some advice. He wants to see how it's done. Well, I can kind of, as I'm approaching it, this is going to be a conflict resolution situation, obviously, as much of parenting is. But, um, you know, we get to the situation there, and we've got two highly emotional and highly irrational children, right? And the situation went completely sideways. You know, they didn't listen to each other. They wouldn't stop and talk and take turns. The thing went kind of nuts. I just felt like it was a big debacle. And I don't think he left very impressed with me. And I left feeling very inept, like, you know, have I been making it up as I went along all this time, right? And so um, I felt pretty useless, pretty humbled by that experience. And I think, um, I think if we're all honest, a lot of us have those highs and lows in our parenting. Um, you know, sometimes we think things are going great, and just when we do, we, we botch it somehow. And so, um, you know... There's a lot of things, and there's a lot of ways we're ang- we, we worry about it and we're anxious about it. There's a lot of challenges and things to be concerned with, with with our parenting. Like, as soon as you find out you're a parent, you start to worry about the fact, okay, is mom safe? Is the baby growing okay? You know, when labor comes, how's that going to go? You know, the baby finally comes out, you're counting ten fingers and toes, you're just making sure everything's okay. Because it isn't always okay, right? So you, you get worried about those things. And then you prepare to bring the baby home. You buy all the right gear. If it has an Italian name, it's better than anything else, supposedly. <laughs> right? um, but then you, you, know, you buy all the gear and you get it all set up. You know? I remember my drive home with Caleb when we first had Caleb and the tension I felt. It's because it's the first time I'm driving with this precious cargo. Right? Um, anyhow, as they develop, you worry about if they're eating enough, if they're sleeping enough, if they're sleeping too much. Are they you know, meeting their age markers? Are they growing right? Are they talking and walking when they should? And then we come to sending them off to school, and we think, are they going to be safe? Are they going to learn? Are they going to have friends? You know, then they go to high school. Are they, how are they coping emotionally? Uh, how are their marks? Are they good enough to get into the right programs? Are they focused enough? Are they hanging out with the right kids? And then after they graduate, I'm going to keep going with this. Um, you know, are they, what, what are they doing in post-secondary school? Are they going to college, career, or university? What kind of career are they going to have? Who are they going to marry? What kind of financial stability will they have, right? 
You talk about having your own kids. How many kids is that going to be like? We can go on and on and on. There's lots of things to worry about. Parenting can be really scary if you let yourself think about all these things. Thank God I don't. Uh, <laughs> parenting is also complicated. Richard talked about marriage last week and the baggage that we all bring to our marriages. But that's also true of parenting. Our family of origin, our personalities, our life experiences, our cultural expectations. And then we have to share that responsibility with somebody who may not see things the same way we do, right? Um, and then our kids are different. Um, they're complicated. Their personalities, their interests, their love languages. Some people need, some kids need love all the time, need that reassurance. Some never need it, right? And we have to figure all this stuff out. So I think as we consider all these factors, it can be overwhelming and intimidating. But because, um, and I think the truth is this, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it by ourselves. And none of us will do it perfectly, right? Because none of us is perfect. So this is kind of where I want to begin today. I want to give you all my credentials. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. But, uh, and I'm not going to make any big claims. You will not have a new kid by Friday. Let me just say that. Sorry, I need to drink already. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyways. Um, instead, though, I kind of, instead of looking and trying to have like, some great advice for you, parenting expertise, I think that I want to focus on the uniqueness of Christian parenting. And I would propose that as Christians, we have a totally different objective than people in the world. For us, parenting is essentially discipleship. And I think in order to be good at discipleship, we need to go to the disciple maker and the expert to Jesus. And I want to look today at the passage that was read for us from John 17 as Jesus prays for his disciples. I think there's some key principles we can pull from that um, that are good, you know, might serve as a good reminder or a good you know, realignment for us, things we can look at and just to check and see where we are. But as I begin, I'm mindful that some of us um, in here or listening probably have felt that we are big failures as parents and, you know, that it's too late to correct the mistakes that we've made. And I don't think that's true. And I think the beauty of the principles that they come from this passage is that they apply to all of our children, no matter how old they are, from newborns up to 60 years old. They could even go beyond 60, but we'll stop it there. Um, but uh, I, these things apply to all of us, and I think that they can, they're good to listen to, and uh, they're coming right from Jesus himself. So uh, I'm going to start, uh, if you want to open your Bibles, if you have it, you can open to John 17. We're going to be looking at verses 6 to 19. Uh, so I want to start with the most obvious principle, and that is this. Pray for your kids. Okay? In John 17, we find what is often referred to as the high priestly prayer. Uh, and today we're looking specifically at the part of the prayer where he prays for his disciples. And the first thing I think we should take away is that he did pray for his disciples. Right? This might seem obvious but for us to do and to follow as parents, but I think sometimes we get caught up with life and maybe we don't do it as much as we should. So what can we learn about praying for our kids here? Let's say this, Jesus understood the importance of prayer. He was compelled to do it. He needed to do it. So if he did, then so should we. Right? This is not the only place that we see Jesus praying in Scripture. Right? Throughout it, we often see that he went away, went to, be, went to be with his Father. And he gave the disciples a template for how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He right? showed them how they can do it too. He showed how we can do it too. Like I said before, we can't do this parenting thing on our own. 
We need the power of God in our lives. And we need to trust God's power to intervene in our children's life and in our family's life. Jesus prayed also for these disciples in their hearing. They heard him pray this. They needed to know that he was praying for them so that they could receive the prayer. I think there's something powerful that happens when we pray, when we're prayed for. And it might be awkward sometimes, but as we do it as families, it gets easier to do it. (laughs) And the more you do it, it becomes more natural. Um, But I think the importance of praying, being prayed for, is that it creates an accountability and it points towards our Heavenly Father, to our source of power and hope. And uh, I think as parents, as we pray for our kids, that's important for them to see. And I think, yeah, prayer time is an, is an opportunity for our kids to see our faith in good times and bad, right? To teach them how to pray, right? And how to be humble before God. There's an article that I found. It's a website called familylife.com. It's Parenthood for Christians, I think. Um, it says this. I like the way that one couple wrote an article. And I like what they said. They said that we need to pray regularly, every day, and about everything. We need to pray offensively before problems arise. We need to pray defensively when troubles do arise. We need to pray intensely because it's a war. And we need to pray together to encourage each other, to spur each other on. A.W. Tozer said this, Remember that without prayer, you cannot win, and with it, you cannot lose. I love that quote. Let's read that again. Remember that without prayer, you cannot win, and with it, you cannot lose. So that's my first point. Pray, because you need it, and your kids need it too. All right, so now that we've covered that one, the the most obvious one, let's look a little bit closer at what Jesus says in his prayer. And the second point here is, remember that our children belong to God. Remember that our kids are a gift. I think it's important to remember here that Jesus knew that his disciples ultimately belonged to God. Verses 6, 7, and 9, I want to just kind of read through them and highlight this for you. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me. And they obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus has a clear understanding here that the disciples are given to him by the Father. Right? He understood that the hand of God didn't work at all human life, but he also understood that these disciples were given to him for a specific purpose. They were going to carry out his earthly mission after he left. They were going to be the ones carrying the good news forward. He also understood the value of them as gifts, and he put time and spent time with them. He treasured them. He cared for them. In verse 8, he says, He gave them all that he had heard from the Father, which means he invested in them. He guided them. He cared for them. He treasured the disciples, what God had given them. And I think it's the same with our kids. They are a gift, a blessing to us. We all know Psalm 139. That's where God tells us that God forms us. Verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in the book, in your book before one of them came to be. So we understand that all human beings come from God. right? And that, so that, that applies to our children as well. God knows your children better than you do, and he, they belong to him. They came from him. In Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5, says this, Children are a heritage from the Lord, an offspring, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. You can see here that children are a blessing. 
And we want to make sure that we treat them as such, right? They are precious souls and they're entrusted to our care. But as we hold on to these truths about our children, uh, we want to care for them in all ways. We want to care for them physically. We want to care for them emotionally, spiritually. Right? And ultimately, we want them to know God. We want them to honor Him with their lives. And I think there's a freedom that comes when we recognize that our kids belong to God. That they're ultimately His. Of course, we are concerned for the welfare of our kids. That's, what we, that's the job that we have. We take care of We keep them safe. But there's a certain anxiety and worry that can come uh, that we, we don't need to have. You know, ultimately, we know they're in his hands. And I think we can find some assurance in that, that he's got them. He will protect them. And we, always, we often hear about helicopter parents, you know, ones that hover over and protect and do everything for their kids. They have safety, safety, safety. They've got everything you can buy at the, you know, whatever kid store you go to. Um, I think what drives them is fear and anxiety. All, right. all the what-ifs, all the things we talked about at the very beginning, those things. They're always worried about those things. But um, that is where we are different from the world as Christian parents. <laughs> it makes sense, I think, for a non-Christian to be worried, because they don't have the same hope we do. As Christians, we do. We don't, we don't have to worry about those things as much. We can trust in God and ultimately leave them in His hands. I think it's also important to remember that they're entrusted to us just for a time. Eventually they will leave us, and we see it later on in this passage that Jesus is going away. He would eventually leave his disciples. And sometimes I see in our culture there's a real temptation to idolize our kids. Like they're always going to be with us. Um, you know, it's always about the kids. And I think there's a real danger in this for the Christian parent to become overly attached and to lose sight. That these are a gift, right? We lose sight of the giver when we get focused on the things that he's given us. So while I, you know, I'm not trying to undermine the importance and the wonderful part about parenthood at all, but there's something that can become, it can become an idol if we allow it to. So I think we need to ask ourselves some honest questions about that. I think recognizing that our kids belong to God, that they're a gift that we have been given for a short time is important. And, you know, and recognizing that they're really important to our calling, they're a big part of it, but they're not all of our calling. That's important for us to remember as Christians. But what do we do with the time that we're given? What did Jesus do? And that's where my third point comes in. He revealed God to their children. I would say he revealed God to the disciples, and we should reveal God to our children. Another way to say that is invite, God, uh, invite your children to know God the way you do. Let's look at verse 6 to 8 again. In verse 6 he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. He revealed them. I like the way the ESV says it better here, I have to say. Because I have manifested your name. He made, he made them God known to them. He showed them the true heart of God in his very nature. Jesus was and is the manifestation of God in all that he did and he taught. Jesus taught and he lived it out. And as a result, they knew with certainty, that's what comes in verse 7 and 8, that he had come from God. They knew that he was the Messiah because of the way that he lived, not just because of what he taught. And in the same way, as parents, we need to reveal or manifest this truth to them, to our kids, by teaching them the, the details about it, but also living it out. This requires knowing the truth of Scripture. So we have to study it ourselves. We have to internalize the truth of God's Word. Right? Then it will come to mind when you're interacting with your kids. 
You know, as you deal with the circumstances of life, you know, we can use those opportunities as teaching points, and it comes naturally. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. We want the truth to ooze out of us <laughs> in every situation and all the time. We need to model what we expect. Jesus manifests the truth of God's word. We have to do the same. This text doesn't mention the actions of Jesus specifically, but we know what he did. We know that he did miracles. We know that he led by example. He spent time with God. He pursued holiness. He challenged the norms of society where they needed to be challenged. We think about ideas of the Sabbath, ideas of women and children. Um, you know, he pursued holiness. Once again, he pursued it, the way he dealt with the temple, God's house. Right? And he also prayed for his disciples, and he demonstrated his reliance on God. He didn't just spout off words, he lived by them. His actions backed up his teachings, and that's what made them powerful. Hebrews 4.12, we know this verse well, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Because you interact with, with Scripture, it convicts and challenges us. And as we do that as parents... We can, our kids will be, uh, will see it. They'll see the power of the Word of God. On the other hand, if you don't do that, and you don't allow it to change you, then your kids will be the first to point out your hypocrisy. You know, driving is probably where this gets me the most. <laughs> Especially when I'm driving down Cawthor for a youth, for some kind of event at the church, stuck in traffic all the way down. And I finally think I'm going to be able to pull into the driveway and that car stops two feet short, right? You can ask my kids for the rest of that story. That's one of those ones I can't share from the pulpit. <laughs> Anyways. We can't expect our kids to follow, though, without modeling it. Right? And Jesus isn't just looking for followers who have the knowledge or, you know, of, of God or good behavior. Ultimately, he is inviting his disciples to be part of this amazing relationship that he had with the Father. If we look at verses 17 down to 19... He says he prays that they would be sanctified. What that means is that they would be set apart by the truth and dedicated to the service of God. In verse 19, he explains that this can only be hap- can only happen if he himself was consecrated or sanctified. Of course, what he's talking about there is his own uh, death and resurrection. He's pointing to the cross. This is how they know. This is how they would become reconciled to God. Jesus also here prays that they would continue to grow in their relationship with them and understanding of the truth, and that they would become sanctified, that they would become more like him. And this is what each, parent, each of us as a, parent, a Christian parent desires for our kids. This is our objective. We want our children to be disciples of Christ. We want them to know him like we do. While we can't make our kids believe, we can't make them believe. Even Jesus lost Judas. What we can do is consistently give our kids an honest presentation of the gospel by reading God's word with them and living by it, and living it out transparently. So far, we've talked about we need to, the fact that we need to pray, we need to remember that our kids belong to God, and we need to reveal God to them. Fourth point is this. We need to remember that our kids do not belong to the world. So bear with me. I'm going to read you guys five verses here. <laughs> Verses 11 down to 16. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. 
Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the fullest measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Excuse me. As I read that portion of scripture there, it's hard not to see the parallels with parenting and the inevitable separation that will come. Um, but anyway, let's walk through that passage a little bit. Jesus, Jesus prays as he's leaving and going to the Father. He knows that the disciples will be left alone without his you know, presence, without his protection. And us as parents, we know that. We dread those days. <laughs> Many of you have gone through them already. Um, where you won't be there to help your kids. So we need to pray like Jesus did, that they would be able to, to leave the nest, you know, to be independent adults who serve God. Right? We know this can be a difficult process. But as he's leaving, Jesus prays for them to be one, to have unity, to be in community. He, he knows that they're going to need each other as they go out there. We, we think of verses like Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, or the wonderful promise from Matthew 18, 20, when he says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. We want to encourage our children to find community where they can belong. A community that will help them to grow spiritually, where there are the values that we taught at home will be reiterated, where they can gain a better sense of God's mission, and, and where they can find uh, spiritual support. As Jesus prays, he is... Uh, that his teaching, he prays also that his teaching will give them the full measure of joy, of hope, because they're going to need it, <laughs> because he knows that they're going to be hated by the world. They don't belong to it. So they need this hope to carry them. Right? John speaks about this, this theme quite often in his Gospels and his letters. Paul, we think about what Paul wrote in Romans 12, be not conformed to the pattern of this world. We pray the same thing for our kids. We need them to understand early that they have a different identity. Right, as believers. And this is where a lot of friction happens in our houses, in our homes. Kids desperately want to belong, and when they're surrounded you know, like daily by those who don't hold the same values, it's tough. The truth is, we have a different sense of reality as Christians. Right? We have, the truth has set us free. We have a hope that's greater than the people around us. And community is essential to helping us keep that in mind, be, to be reminded of it, and to live in it. Um, you know, it'd be a lot easier to make decisions as Christian parents about the entertainment your kids watch, the video games, their social media, their parties, the clothes you buy, uh, how they spend their time. All of those decisions are a lot easier when you're doing them with other people in your community. When your kids aren't the only one, they know that it doesn't get to do that thing, you know, or have that thing. So, Christian parents, we need to back each other up. <laughs> and our Christian kids also need Christian friends. Right? Bring them to youth group. That's what I'm ultimately saying here. <laughs> but um, 
we need to belong to community, and we need to encourage each other in those things, and be with each other, and support each other, because uh, it is hard. For, it is hard for our kids to grow up. I grew up. I grew up without too many Christian friends in a very small youth group, and it was a tough struggle you know, to be uh, to be at church and to be you know to continue in that way. Anyhow, you notice here that Jesus doesn't pray that they're taken out of the world, but instead he prays that God will protect them in the world, right? Protecting from the evil one. The disciples' purpose was to complete the mission that he, you know, that Jesus had started. He was to be their witnesses. And we want our kids to grow up with that sense of mission as well. They are different for a reason. They are something part of something bigger than themselves. You know, I love the language. Just, you know, the light, we are the light of the world, the city on the hill. Jesus has given us a new identity, and we are not defined by the world. We're different. We're supposed to be different and markedly different than the world. We want our children to know this too. And so we pray, like Jesus, that they will be part of a unified community, that they'll grow to maturity in Christ, that they'll be sanctified and set apart to serve Him. This is our ultimate goal as parents, as Christian parents, to make our kids Christian you know, disciples of Christ. So here's my final takeaway. In everything you do, make your love evident. I started with an obvious point. I'm going to finish with an obvious point. Although it's not stated explicitly in the passage that Jesus loves his followers, the prayer alone shows us that he did. It shows us that he wanted them to know that he cared for them. It highlights his concern for their spiritual lives, his desire for them to know God, to live with joy and confidence in their new identity. This passage is part of a bigger narrative. It's called the Upper Room Discourse from John 13, 17. And in that, that, that stretch, we see this intimacy with Jesus and his disciples. We see him in John 13 as he washes his disciples' feet. And he gives them the new commandment. A new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. That is how people would identify them as disciples. So he states his love for them and he asks them to do the same. In chapter 15, he shows his love for them when he says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. And of course we can see Jesus' love for his disciples throughout the Gospels, and ultimately in his great sacrifice on the cross. But as you go through the, the accounts of the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus didn't te- treat his disciples all the same. We often hear about the inner circle, the big three you know, apostles. Um, but each of his disciples were a unique personality, and he treated them as such. So I think as we go making disciples of our kids, we need to keep this in mind. We want them to see Christ reflected in us, however dim. <laughs> but we know that they're not always going to respond the same way. That's part of the work of parenting, is to know your children, right? It's part of the joy of parenting, is to know your kids, and to see how they grow. Try different things, teaching them different ways, exposing them to different things. And it's amazing, to, and it's a joy to see them flourish in their uniqueness and to see them using the gifts that God has given them. I think Angie, you mentioned that in your testimony. So as we go striving to raise these kids, these great disciples for Christ, let us not forget to make sure our children know that we love them. Uh, the disciples knew this. They knew that Jesus loved them, and they followed him as a result of that love. Right? Maybe our kids will do the same if we love them too.
As I conclude, I just want to read a little bit more, read on a little bit more in the prayer that Jesus is praying here. And we come to the part where he's praying for those who would be come to faith because of the disciples' testimony. So listen to these words. That's, he's praying for us, actually. <laughs> My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you, are, you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as you, we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Those are some amazing promises there, amazing things that he's praying for us as Christians. He actually, and the fact that he prayed, Jesus prayed for us and he continues to pray for us. Romans 8 tells us that he intercedes for us. I just want to remind everyone that as part of God's family, we have an amazing discipleship lineage. Okay? Um, some of you may have had great Christian parents and grandparents who brought you to Christ. Some of you may have gone, gone up at a Billy Graham crusade and became a Christian through a perfect stranger. Some of you had friends walk you know, with you through the journey to faith. Some of you became, Christian, became Christians through, you know, in spite of bad Christian parents. Right? And here's, uh, but here's something that I think is really profound about it all, is that no matter what our Christian lineage is, no matter what path that takes, we can all trace it back to one place. Ultimately, everything goes back to Jesus Christ. Right? It goes through those apostles, those disciples, and out from there. Right? Everyone who's claimed Jesus as their Savior knows that. In real history, this is, you know, I think about DNA testing. Right? We all want to find out where we came from. All of us here can trace our Christianity, our faith, right back to Jesus Christ. I think that's very profound. Maybe that's just me. I actually did math on this. And I figured if I had three people in every, every, every century, between here and there, I would have 60 people between me and Jesus. I thought that was kind of cool. But anyways, that's an aside. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that we, can, we, all pass, we all have that path right back to Christ. We all have that as our spiritual heritage. So no matter how, much, how inept you feel as a parent, no matter how much you feel like you failed, or how much you worry about what you're going, that you are going to fail, you do have a wonderful spiritual heritage here. And that's much more powerful than your bloodline, your natural heritage, because the Holy Spirit runs in that line. So no matter what baggage you bring to parenting, it can become overcome by this spiritual heritage. You can go back and you have Christ as, its, as your beginning. You have a Savior in Christ who prayed for you and continues to intercede on your behalf. His blood has covered over all of your sin, your shortcomings, and better yet, he promises that he will never leave us alone. He has given the Holy Spirit to us to lead and to guide us and to equip us. And that's how we're going to raise disciples for Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of children, for the blessing of family. Lord, for this weekend that we can celebrate Family Day and we can gather together as your church and celebrate it as well. Lord, as people who have put our faith in Christ, you've equipped us to raise disciples to serve in your kingdom. May we always remember that they are a gift to us, that they ultimately belong to you. 
Lord, forgive us for the mistakes we've made and help us as we learn to lean on your strength and to lead as you lead and guide us, Lord. Amen.